A few years ago, I was invited by a Christian radio station in our city to participate in a minister's golf tournament at one of my favorite golf courses here in San Antonio, the Quarry. So I showed up. I looked forward to meeting other pastors in our town. And we were involved in a two-man uh, scramble. And so I, I knew I was going to be teamed up with someone else. And when I registered, the name that I was being teamed up with was Tully Blanchard. He is a minister to people who are in the prison system in San Antonio. Now, guys, if you're my age, that name may ring a bell to you. And so Tully Blanchard, that's a very unique name. And uh, I thought, I know this name. But I wasn't for sure, so I did what you may have done. You would have Googled it, right? So I kind of hid away, and I Googled the name Tully Blanchard, and I, my eyes got real big, and I was like, oh, my goodness, there's only one Tully Blanchard. This is one of the four horsemen, one of the wrestlers back when I was younger. Every Saturday morning I would watch wrestling, like Nature Boy, Ric Flair, and Tully Blanchard, and I mean, I would watch. How many of you guys watched wrestling when you were younger? Come on, some of you are watching wrestling now. Like I would watch it, and then I would take all my aggression out on my younger siblings with the wrestling moves that I was learning, and then I would get in trouble, and that would just happen every single Saturday. So I was excited to play golf with a childhood celebrity and a minister of the gospel, Tully Blanchard, and so we played golf and. Golf is stressful enough, right, to try to hit the fairways and then hit the ball on the green with your approach shots. But to do it in a tournament with a former wrestler who's pretty intense just added to all the pressure and stress. I can remember getting to probably the, the third hole that we were playing together. And, and again, when, when you're in a two-man scramble, you both hit a ball and then whatever the best ball, you go to that spot. So we're on the green and we would take the ball and put a little marker down. And then I was the first one to putt. Tully was a better golfer than I am. And so I put the ball down and then set up to, to putt. He was like a 12-footer. And, and he stopped me. And he was like, no, you take this ball and you put it two inches to the left of the marker every time. I was like, oh, my goodness. And now I'm even extra stressed to not just to try to make the putt, but I felt like if I missed it, I was going to get suplexed by Tully right there on the green. That was a lot of pressure. How many of you feel like that when you're trying to walk as a Christian? Like there's all this pressure and stress. Like you, you have to walk the narrow line, right? Like you can't miss. And if you do, there's going to be just all these hard consequences. And there's, you're just so focused on, on not doing what is bad. And you just feel like there's just a lot of pressure. Some of you feel like that. You're like you're walking on eggshells, so focused on not doing the wrong things. There's another ditch as well that you're going to discover. We're going to talk about a topic today that, just going to be honest with you, is a hard topic. A lot of us don't like discussing this, but it's something that we all deal with. And it's the subject of sin. The reality is you're either dead to sin or you're dead in sin. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. How many of you are enjoying our series through the book of Romans? I'm so excited that you are here, that maybe we be hungry for God's word. Hopefully you're bringing the word of God with you. 
And we are going to discover what God's word says about sin and how to overcome temptation and live a life in Christ. That's the good news. There's a problem with sin that Paul's addressing. You see, the church is in Rome. And I've been to Rome. Last summer I was there with my family. And everywhere you look is a reminder of the culture. From the Colosseum to bathhouses, temptation everywhere. Temptation for greed, for lust, for gluttony, for violence. Everything is there. And the problem is these, the culture of sin was conforming those who were in the church. And they weren't taking sin seriously. Sin is not just a slip up or a sickness. It's not part of the normal Christian walk. It's not just part of your character. You don't need to just resign and say, man, I'm just, I'm just always going to be a sinner. And so that's what I do. And Paul's addressing this. He's addressing it. I mean, later he tells the church at Rome, don't be conformed to the culture around you. But here in chapter 6, he's addressing specifically people who aren't taking sin seriously. Verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? He's saying, hey, if you are in Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, like you believed in him as the substitution, the atonement, you are saved by that grace alone, through your faith alone. It's not by works, not by saving yourself. So he said, if you believe that, you are justified. In other words, it's just as if you've never sinned. But you are new in Christ. He's saying, don't keep on sinning. Don't just keep doing that. That's not what you need to do. In verse 3, he illustrates. He talks about a spiritual baptism. And by the way, this is what he's talking about here in Scripture is different than the physical water baptism. He's talking about this internal moment, this experience that we have in verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as we were baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was what? Crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For we, for he who has died has been freed from sin. How many of you know that's good news? Praise God. So what Paul is writing to those who are just thinking, hey, I'm just always going to sin. This is just part of it. But hey, grace, grace covers it. It's all, I'm all good. He's saying, hey, you're not realizing what's happened in, inside of you. Like there's a spiritual baptism. He's saying, look to Jesus. The same Jesus who died, who was nailed to the cross, put in the tomb, and came back. To, he's saying your spiritual life should be a parallel. It should mirror what happened with Jesus. This is this baptism that occurs. And so when we get baptized in water, remember, it's just a symbol. There's nothing magical about being baptized in water. All we're doing is taking our next step after a spiritual baptism that happened with us on the inside. 
The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptismo, which means to sink, to be dunked. So if a ship in the ocean sank underwater, it was to be baptized, all right? So it's the same way that we are to be baptized, we are to be buried into our sin of our old lives. We are in Christ, right? Paul writes about this in Scripture. He says those are who are in Christ, the old is gone and the new is to come. Some of you have not yet been baptized since you have surrendered your life to Jesus. And this water baptism is an important next step for you. Some of you got baptized as an infant. And so you think, man, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to let my family down. But you don't remember it, right? That was more of your family, uh, a moment of dedicating you. And it's time that you build on that foundation and have a moment like this for yourself. And I'm excited that next Sunday in this service, we're going to have a special water baptism service. So you can visit this link and get registered or right after service. I want to personally invite you to the starting line, the back of the room over your right shoulder, and talk with someone about getting signed up and get baptized next Sunday. And, and guys, I, I know some of you are like, I'm an introvert. Uh, I don't want to get wet in front of people. I, can't I do this more of in a private way? Did you know in the Bible, like, it was a very public moment. Jesus modeled water baptism. He commanded us to get baptized. And it was a very public thing. They did it in the, not just in front of a, a church community. They did it in front of the entire town. It was a public uh, allegiance from this moment on. I identify in Christ with my life. And so when you get baptized in front of people, like with this church, we want to cheer for you. We want to celebrate. It's an important next step for you. But this is what happens. It's an outward expression of what happens inwardly. So what's happening inward when you get baptized? Think of it like a funeral, like this is your casket. When you die, right, you are being buried, not sprinkled. You're like going all the way under. You're like going underwater, symbolic of going under in the grave, right? So you are dying, like you are dead. And when you're dead, you don't get a say, right? Like your flesh doesn't get a right. There's no preferences anymore. You're dead. And how many of you would agree that if, 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 if all it is is you dying, that would be pretty depressing? <laughs> like if Jesus died on the cross and just stayed in the tomb, that would be sad. We wouldn't like be here together. But the reality is that he rose from the dead. And just as you died to your old life, died to your sin, that power of his resurrection comes alive in you and you come alive in Christ, right? Like you're alive and when you come out, there should be an excitement because you're raising your hand in victory. You are new in Jesus. The old is gone, the new is to come. You are a new creation. Your identity has changed. And Paul writes about this. He talks about your identity in Christ. He refers to it 164 times. He's like, I don't want you to just be used to that. You were a, once a slave to sin. You were a slave to Jesus. He's your master. He's your king. And so how do you live your life in Christ? Well, let's read. Because he talks about this in Romans 6, verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ... We believe that we should also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. 
Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Remember, you're either dead in sin or dead to sin. But if you are alive in Christ, you are dead to sin. Right? Look over at a neighbor and say, I reckon you're dead to sin. And not just dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How many of you believe that's good news? Let's praise the Lord together. Amen. So you're dead to sin. It shouldn't have a hold on you anymore. You shouldn't just struggle it, struggle with it. It shouldn't be a cycle. You shouldn't keep going back to it. You shouldn't be a slave to it. Don't be like Proverbs says, a dog that returns to his vomit, just continually going back to that sin over and over. That's not who you are. You are in Christ. You are in Christ. But let's talk about, talk about it. If you are a believer and you are in Christ, there's still going to be a temptation for you to fall in one of the ditches, one of the two extreme ditches. One of them is a ditch that, like, the, it's that you grew up maybe believing, like me, like everything wrong is sin. Everything wrong is sin, but just like everything is sin. If it's fun, it's sin, right? Like music, all secular music is sin. Going to the movies is sin. Going to a dance is sin. Wearing makeup is sin. For some of you, not to wear makeup is sin. I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Wow, serious topic. We're going to lighten up a little bit. But the reality is, how many of you feel like it? You're just like everything fun is sin. So you just feel like you're walking on eggshells and like you at any moment you can just like lose your salvation if you have a bad thought. That's how I grew up believing. Like it, I, I felt like I had to like sincerely come to the altar and get saved. I got saved like... 500 times as a kid. Just over and over. And, and that's one extreme. And some of you, if you're not in that ditch, you lean towards that. And if you're not careful, there's a pride that comes into you that you think you're more holy than anybody else. So if someone is sinning more than you, then you point a finger. There's this judgmental, critical spirit. And it's not good being in that. But the other, you know what the other ditch is that you can fall into? That is that, that grace is a license to sin. That you can do whatever you want. You're good. Hey, I, I, you prayed the sinner's prayer when you were five years old. So you can live like the devil. And you're good. Like you're, you got the get out of jail free card. You're automatically going to have, I remember being in high school and we started a Bible study. And we prayed. We prayed for this one guy. Like he was the worst sinner in our school. And if, if this guy could come to know Jesus, we just felt like his influence, man, we're going to have a revival in our, on our school campus. So we invited him to our, our Bible study. And you know what we found out? Found out that he, was, he said he was already saved. Like he prayed the prayer when he was little. But this guy, the way he talked, the way he partied, he had sex all the time. He's like, he, it didn't matter because he was saved and he was good to go. And so that's another extreme, right? And so some of you, you, you may, if you're not in the ditch already, you're leaning on one of those two ways. And it's a struggle. There's just this tension, right? And it's being, we need to treat sin as serious. We need to have a common understanding of what sin really is. You know what the Bible says sin is? 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it says that sin is lawlessness. Sin is breaking God's commands. You know the Ten Commands, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, 
thou shalt not commit adultery. And then Jesus says, right, if you commit lust with your eyes, you've committed adultery in your heart. It's, it's, it's breaking God's moral code, his standard. The Greek word mentioned for sin is hamartia. It literally means to miss the mark. To miss God's standard. He has an expectation and a standard. He's holy in his character, right? And he wants us to be set apart. Set apart from sin. Set apart from the world. To be next to him. To be close to him. And when you sin, whatever that is in your life, in your, in, with sexual purity or in relationships or your words, that, that there is an expectation of walking in the spirit and being close to the Lord. But there's a problem. Sin is something that we need to be taken seriously. So if you're keeping notes, here's why this matters. First, sin separates. It separates you from God and it separates you from others. If you are walking in darkness, you don't want to be next to God, right? Just even being in this room brings conviction. Or being, if you're living in sin, Right, unconfessed sin, you've hardened your heart. When you're around others, for a season, you're going to have conviction. You're going to want to run away. What Those who are in darkness, they don't like the light, right? And so it hurts. You've broken the heart of God. And so there is a, a separate, there's a distance that comes because of your sin, your choice to sin. It separates you from intimacy and a close fellowship with God. Second reason why it's matters, sin leads to death. Sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. It'll keep you longer than you've ever wanted to stay. And it'll cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. And we think, hey, it's just a moment. And, and sin is pleasurable for a moment. But it'll eventually lead to death. It's a wide road that leads to destruction. It's not just one conversation. It's not just one click. The book of James talks about it. Like when temptation occurs, and by the way, temptation is not sin. Right? Jesus was tempted. You will be tempted. But what you do with that temptation will have a moment. Like you're either going to get closer to the Lord or you're going to go farther away from him. And if you, the Bible talks about in James, if you conceive, when that temptation is conceived, it brings forth sin. You've missed the mark. And sin, when it's had its work, it brings forth what? Death. That's what the word of God says. It brings forth. So sin is very serious. First, it separates you from God. Second, it leads to death. Third, sin keeps you from God's best. It keeps you from God's best. God has a will for your life. He has purposes he wants you to fulfill. When you obey God, he wants to bless you. He wants to protect you. It's like an umbrella, right, when you walk in the spirit. But this, as soon as you start hardening your heart and you choose selfishness, yet you are removing yourself from God's umbrella of protection and blessing. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, not to the city, right, not to the, all the worst sinners in Galatia, but he's writing to the church. Listen to these words, starting in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, 
dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You hear this like urgency, this this heart of pleading. It's like I'm warning you. The, The bridge is out. Don't keep going forward. Don't keep living in sin. And then verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. This should mark, mark your character. A, a, a good tree is known by its fruit. Jesus says that, right? Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, submit to the Lord. Understand that that He is both your Savior and your Lord. We, We discover that in verse 12 of Romans 6. It says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. He's like, you have a choice. It's not part of your nature. You've got a choice, right? He said, don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Verse 13, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to who? To God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. He says, present yourselves. Your whole body is a living sacrifice to the Lord. He'll later say that in this letter to the Romans. He's saying, submit yourself to the Lord. So when you get saved, this is what happens. You, get, you, you die to sin, right? You are alive in Christ. You are saved. That moment of sanctification cleanses your mind. It sets you free from the power of sin. It's a powerful moment where you are forgiven. You're a new creation. That moment is necessary. But sanctification is both both instantaneous and it's progressive. And it's progressive. You continue to be clean, to be set apart to the Lord by your choice, by faith, to walk in the Spirit. To not give in to sin, but to walk after the Lord. It's seeing both Jesus at the moment of salvation as Jesus is Savior, but it's also seeing Him and submitting to Him as Lord. He's the Master. He's the King, right? He's your leader. Where does he want to lead you? To walking in the Spirit, to newness in Christ, to a life of victory. And so it's understanding Jesus is both Savior and he is Lord. Verse 14, this is good news. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Amen? Again, grace is not a license to sin. But it's God's unmerited favor. It's his supernatural strength alive in you that you can resist the temptation to sin. You can turn from sin and turn to God. That's why Jesus says deny yourself daily, right? Like it's his grace is made available for you. So how does that work? Well, in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes to the church and says, hey, there is no temptation that is that has not seized you that is common to man. In other words, you're not alone. Temptation's out there, right? But when you are tempted, this is how God's grace works. He will provide a way out that you can stand up under it. And so what is that way out? 
Like if, you've, if you're abiding with the Lord and you've taken the word of God and you've hid it in your heart that you may not sin against him, it becomes a, the word of God becomes a light into your path. Some of you are so focused about in that ditch, don't sin, don't sin. Don't, you're like in the darkness that you can't even see straight and you're stumbling around. But the light, when it comes, you look to the light. You look where you want to go. If you're just so focused on not sinning, you're eventually going to stay there. We need to look unto Jesus, right? We need to abide with him, be in his presence. And when we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, look to the face of Jesus. We look where we want to go. He will give us supernatural strength. He will help us to avoid it, right? And so there's, how do you avoid sin? How do you avoid uh, in becoming overcoming temptation in your life? Well, whatever the enemy is trying to tempt you with, whether it be your words, your thoughts, your money, are you coveting? Do you have lustful thoughts? Some of you, just look at your phone. Like there is all kinds of ways to try to tempt you with your phone, right? Whether it be social media, you begin to want to compare yourself to others. You feel bad or you feel proud based on what's happening in other people's lives. Or some of you are struggling with sin. You're addicted to sin because you've given in to a click on the Internet, right? Or on a social media search engine. Something came up. You weren't even planning it. You, you clicked, right? And that led to another click. And you see that progression of sin, that temptation, sin. And there's, a, there's a, a road to destruction. The enemy wants you to be a slave to sin. And that happens. And so what do you do? You don't just give in to it, right? Some of you need to delete the app off your phone. You need to turn off the phone. You need to get, don't try to manage sin. Murder it. Hate it. Get away from it. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says to flee sexual immorality. When Joseph was tempted to sin with Potiphar's wife, right, what did he do? He didn't talk about it to her. He didn't look at her. He ran out of the house. We need to do that. We need to run, get away from it. Like I hate it. Hate what is evil and sinful and cling to the Lord, looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, running to the light. Romans 7, verse 24, Paul writes, he asks a question, it's a rhetorical question because he knows the answer. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I imagine he used to feel this way. And once he had an encounter with Jesus when he surrendered his life, he understood the good news. And so he's communicating to the church at Rome. His words are alive, inspired by the Holy Spirit for you today to apply. Verse 25, he says, I thank God that through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That's good news, right? Some of you have been struggling, and you're struggling because you're allowing the words of other condemning people to bring you down. Remember the woman who was caught in adultery. Jesus who was full of grace and truth. What is that? Truth is, I've got to be honest with you no matter what. Grace is, I love you no matter what. And he looked at this woman and he says, where are your accusers? Where are those who are trying to condemn you? He set her free, but he looked her in the eyes and he had to be honest. And he said, go and sin no more. Right? And so there is this both, this, this loving kindness that God is patient. He wants you to come to repentance. He wants you to turn to him. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. 
for the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice he says the likeness. Jesus was without sin, but he became sin and he hung on the cross on account of our sin, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We don't just run from God, run from sin, we run to God. Amen? Will you stand to your feet and by faith, may we run to God in our hearts and our minds. May we focus right now on Jesus who died on the cross for our sins. By his blood and on that cross, we have been forgiven, we are saved, and we are alive in Christ because he is alive. You need to thank the Lord for that. Just allow your hearts and your minds to be full of gratitude. As by faith you confess him.